Your text said Hebrews chapter 12, which was a continuation from about two weeks ago on the Lamb. We was looking at the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. But how the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, all the conditions it had to make and meet and so forth like that before it could actually be offered and, and that first Passover. But uh, today I'm going to really be mostly in Hebrews chapter 12. But I want to start as a text this morning just to begin, and then uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll go straight to Hebrews chapter 12. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And when I look at that, God said, there's a need in Israel. Israel's about to lose their land, lose everything they had. One of the things, reasons I have Brother Osborne speaking tonight there's some things going on right now that you have no idea of what's going on. And um, this land, the churches, the homes, there are some things lying ahead that I think you're going to find out about some of those things tonight. So don't miss out on it tonight. Uh, I, I want you to hear this tonight. But I'm not going to uh, say anything else about it. We talked at length uh, the other day about it, and I just said, man, you've got to preach that. You've got to preach that. And so uh, he said he would tonight. So don't miss out on the services this evening. But let's have a word of prayer before we get into the message. Father, I pray now, Lord, we're going to be looking here at Hebrews chapter 12. And, and Lord, I believe this is a message from you. So help me to speak as the matter in which you would have me to speak. Lord, I've got to say your words, not my words. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be sensitive to thy Holy Spirit completely, lay it out, that it might be a help to each and every person that is here today. And I want to thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, looking here at Hebrews chapter 12, we read... Wherefore, now you remember the old saying I've told you many times, therefore, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it'll be about four times to every one time that you'll see wherefore. Therefore means, okay, this is what I want done, and on your way to that point, you start here to that point, I want you doing this as you go. The word wherefore has the idea of stop right now and take care of this right now, get it taken care of now. And so, when I see the word wherefore, it tells me to stop and take notice. So he says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily. Isn't that interesting how it says it does so easily beset us? And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, sometimes this verse is, 
it's misused by preachers, I believe, as well as many just misunderstandings. Seeing we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and the automatic thought becomes, oh man, all those people of the past, all those, uh, our, our relatives that died in Christ, they're watching us. Uh, no. I don't think any of them are watching us. Heaven's a holy place. They're seeing Jesus. See, they're seeing the glories of heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the Bible says that's far better, not just better, far better to be with the Lord. Now, that's the Bible. And the Bible never lies. Okay? The Bible's always true. So, it's far better to be with the Lord. So, you say, what about the cloud of witnesses then? Well, we just read... Before that, in Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the uh, God's Hall of Fame chapter, where it talks about all these great men of the faith throughout uh, time. We talk, read about Abraham and Sarah. We read about Moses. We read about other great men of God and how God used them. And, and so being a great cloud of witnesses does not mean they're watching. It means their testimony, their life is a witness to us because they were men, they were women, as you and I, they still breathe air. They still walk in the face of the earth, and they're limited to a human body. But they are accessed to the same God, we are accessed to the same God as they were. And that spells victory if we'll walk as they walk. And so that cloud of witnesses lets us know that no matter how bad it looks, it can be accomplished. It can be accomplished. So sin we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. You know, sometimes that weight, that sin, is not something that's just really evil. I mean, boy, that thing is terrible. And you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I fell to that thing again. Why? No. From doing what you're supposed to do, it may not be something that is really a sin, you know, drugs, alcohol, immorality. No. It's that thing that takes your heart and mind from that specific purpose and will of God that you're supposed to be walking in. For example, if you're saved, you're here today, so I can say this to you, and this is to the ones that uh, could be here and couldn't uh, and didn't come. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. Now, there's some working, there's some sick, there's some shut in. No, they can't come, but at least they can watch on live stream. But when we can come and we don't, we are forsaking the assembly by ourselves together. And a lot of times it's just, well, I don't feel like it. Well, I've got company. Or I've got, this, I've got that. Um, you know, you don't have to justify it to me. It's the God. When he gives us a clear command in his word, don't think that your mind is greater than God's and so you can really fool him on this one. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. You know, the word forsaking has the idea of, uh, that's there in its Greek and the way it's written out is that it's there, not there, there, not there, there, not there. In other words, you can't be called faithful. And it's required in st stewards, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, to be faithful. 
And so you see that right off the bat in this first uh, word here, uh, this first sentence. I'm, I'm building up to something, so I'm going to just look at that. And so he's saying there, uh, those sins were so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, when we think of the race before us, I mean, think about that. The life, the call, for we are His workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. God has a specific will for your life. We had, uh, Brother Michael Beam was teaching in our class today, and he, he was using Daniel 1.8 about Daniel purposed in his heart. Now, a purpose is something that you're committed to the rest of your life, regardless. And we think of Daniel. I mean, first, he could have died for not eating of the king's meat. Next, for praying unto God when it was commanded they couldn't do that. I mean, all these things that he could have been killed for, he never abandoned that commitment to Christ to pray, to be a witness, to be what he ought to be, he never abandoned that. That became the purpose of his life. And it made a difference. And that's what it's going to take for this country. You see, it has to be a purpose. And so, we run with patience. How many have said, they are just trying my patience. Maybe it's dealing with kids. Maybe it's dealing with your spouse. Maybe it's dealing with in-laws. Maybe it's dealing with grandparents. Maybe it's dealing with fellow employees. It could be a whole list of things that, that just tries your patience. Your patience has never been tried like you have, and I have tried the patience of God. And it's only by His mercies that we are not consumed every day, the Bible tells us. Think of that. And so, he tells us, let's run with patience this race that is set before us. I found out yesterday, and so I'm, I'm, I'm bringing something in here, that's why I, I just kind of changed things around a little bit for the sermon today. Uh, Old Tennessee Temple College, Highland Park Baptist Church. Oh, what a great thing. Dr. Lee Robertson went there in the early 1940s. And just uh, not a large church, just a couple of hundred in there, I think, but for what it became, just not many. But then that church grew. There were thousands. They had a big map on the back of the church that you could put little stick pins in, and they had stick pins that covered it that showed where they had Tennessee Temple graduates that were ministering for the Lord throughout the United States and around the world. And I tell you, that thing was packed. That thing was packed. It was always interesting just to look at it and just see all these things and realize there were people there that served the Lord. It was in that church when I was six years old, I got baptized by Dr. Lee Robertson. My dad was not yet a pastor, and, and that's where he was going to college. And it was there 
after my dad and mom, we sat in the living room, led me to the Lord, and, and, and I was baptized that following uh, Wednesday night or Sunday night, whichever it was. I, I don't remember for which, <laughs> what, what night it was. There are people who used to say, do you, do you have the date down? No. As a matter of fact, the date that I got baptized there, I not only don't know it, but nobody else knows it. And I'm going to tell you why in just a little bit. Tennessee Temple. I went there in 1967, and that's where I met my wife. I mean, I, I remember the date, November 12, 1967. And that's when I met her. She took my seat in church. I never forgave her of that. But uh, I had to sit on a folding chair because she was sitting in my nice padded seat, you know. Uh, I've got it now. I know she won't come up there and sit down. Okay, so, but uh, uh, nonetheless, that's where we met. Remember that great auditorium. Not only Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If they were having revival, it happened each revival night. They not only had an invitation, but people got saved, and they baptized right there on those nights. As soon as church was over. I mean, they were baptizing. I mean, multitudes were brought to the Lord through it. Dr. Lee Robertson had a famous saying. He would say, three to thrive, three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Be faithful. Be there. Be right there. He'd always tell them that. The people come into church, you're going to have, you need three to thrive. And, and so that's what he would say. I'm on the board of Baptist International Missions. Dr. Lee Robertson, in conjunction with some other people, got that started. God used that man of God. He got on up in years and the day came, thought it was time to step down, you know, just to uh, turn it over. And one of those in the pulpit committee says, we don't want another Lee Robertson. And they never got one. Yesterday, those buildings were destroyed with fire. They burn up. But there had been people that had gone there and said, how fundamentalism ruined them. Ruined them? Hmm. They were down on Dr. Robertson and some of those others who stood for the faith. They were down on the Jack Howes. They, they were down on the men of God that God actually used. We've got to get this contemporary in here. We've got to be relevant to the society. We've got to be like it is, should be. And guess what? Guess what? Tennessee Temple, Highland Park Baptist Church no longer exists. It stopped existing before this fire ever hit. You know what they were using those buildings, those dormitories, all those buildings and dormitories? I guess the city had it for homeless people just to stay in. I can just see him telling Lee Robertson that in heaven. They made it a, just a place for homeless to live in. And he would have asked, well, who's witnessing those people? Who's trying to bring them to Christ? How many have gotten baptized? You know, I can just see him doing that. So that's what they destroyed. But, you know, that's not a new thing. You know, saying that like it's something new and it strikes a lot of us as new. No, they were in the wilderness and, and there was a golden calf 
they made. And they said, by this, we were delivered from Egypt. If you talk about something that's spitting in God's face, that is spitting in God's face. And they changed their music so that they were singing and dancing in a way with that music. As a matter of fact, it was such that when Moses was coming off the mountain, God said, I'm going to destroy them all. And, and Moses had to intercede for them or God was going to destroy them all. Joshua was there walking beside him and said, wow, sounds like the war. He says, no, that's not war. Those are the drums of, of partying. Isn't it interesting how the two kind of go together? They were partying. They were dancing. They were uh, less clothes, everything else. And saying, by this is how Jehovah works. It, Jehovah, by the, they made this golden calf under Jehovah. And God was ready to kill them all. Then we go throughout the history of Israel. What happens? Well, we want to be like the others. They've changed their worship. You go to the book of Ezekiel and you'll find out that the priests and the others already had images on the wall of the sun god. They were worshiping Tammuz. But hey, guess what? They always had sacrifices and they read the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament law. So, see, they were still doing it for Jehovah. But now it was relevant. Now it was ecumenical. Now it's something everybody would love. And Israel's in captivity for 70 years as a result, and they lose it all. One group was spared in Jeremiah's day. They were spared, and then whoever Nebuchadnezzar left in charge got killed, put to death. And so the people just knew, oh my goodness, Nebuchadnezzar's going to come back and probably kill us all. Jeremiah, you told us all this would happen. Pray for us. Ask God what we ought to do. Jeremiah prayed. He said, okay, the Lord told me. You going to do what he says? Yeah, yeah, we're going to do what he says. Okay, y'all plan to go to Egypt. God says you do. He's going to destroy you in Egypt. You're going to lose everything you have. Oh, God didn't say that to you. He keeps preaching to them. They get mad at him. I mean, before the, they lost their city and lost everything they had, they, they had put him in a dungeon that he sunk in there among all that filth that was there. He was put in shackles public humiliation. God delivered out of all of them, but nonetheless, he suffered greatly. And boy, when he started preaching to that group that said, we're going on to Egypt. And they said, oh, we were so much better off when we had Tammuz and we were uh, worshiping these false gods. And it was the men saying it. And isn't it funny? The Bible is specific. You know, the Bible doesn't hide the actual facts. It says, uh, because some of the men knew their wives, I guess their daughters were doing this, they did it. 
Anyway, we still have the same problem today. Either wives or children can change what, your standards. It's not God changing your standards, say be more worldly, uh, comply with what is unright, comply with those things. No, it is, it is family and children. And God designed husbands to be the head. You're the man. You're supposed to be leading your family in the way of righteousness and true holiness. You can say amen to that. And wives give them permission to say so. Okay. Did you say that to me? Okay, but um, listen. That's not where it stops. They go into captivity. They go out. God brings them back after 70 years, like he said through the prophet Jeremiah he would. While in captivity, Daniel... He still stays strong to the Lord. He keeps getting delivered. They get back in the land. They start their worship. They build, rebuild a temple after God really does things to cause them to have to rebuild the temple. They get a temple. Jesus comes. They reject him because he's going to interfere with their position in life as well as their income. So let's get rid of him. They crucify Jesus, and in A.D. 70, they lose Jerusalem. And so what I'm saying is that every time throughout the history of Israel and throughout the ages of the church age, when the church wants to be relevant, look at the seven churches in Revelation and you'll see that. When the church wants to be re relevant to the world, relevant to society, they get put out of business. And God puts them out of business. He may use the worst of men to put them out of business, but they get out of business. But hey, everybody's enjoying it. Everybody's having fun. We like to rock and roll. We like to see those girls up here shaking their bodies around and showing everything they have. Oh, we love that. We think it's godly. What's wrong with you? You have no idea what's godly, if that's what you think. It may, hurt, it may help you to ask God to reveal to you what His holiness is. Help you to understand His holiness. Now, I know this sounds rough, and it sounds more like an evangelist than it does uh, what you're used perhaps to hearing from me, but hey, that's, that's the world today. That's what's happening in the churches. And I'm saying that because judgment begins at the house of God. You're worried about what's going to happen to America. Look at this inflation. Look at all these illegals coming across the border. Look at the sex trafficking. Look at all of these things that are going on in this country. It's about to be lost, every bit of it. Before this country goes down, the church is going to go down. And yeah, we see an example of a, hitting a public school there a few weeks ago. But what about, what about when it hits the church? Are you the man the Lord's looking for? Or as Ezekiel 22, 30 says, that we'll stand in the gap, make up the hedge. See, that's what we need. As Christians, to make that decision. Now let's look at the next verse. 
How do you stand in this day? How do you stand? How do you overcome? How's their victory? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, at the right hand of the throne of God, that was a place where if somebody was to put in that seat to sit there, they were having equal power with the one on the throne. Wow. In his humanity, he was already that in his deity, but now in his humanity he's gained that. That's why in his humanity he has, Revelation 1.18, the keys of hell and of death. He got it all for us. But notice there, it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, why is he saying that? Well, let's just look at this thing for a few moments. The author and the finisher of our faith. What could we say about that? Well, here's Jesus. He was a human that suffered everything that you could suffer. You know, one thing that's different about Jesus and Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was tempted by the devil. And God had already given them his word, you shall not eat thereof. But instead of listening to God's word, and, and he said, well, he said we should not eat thereof. And so he says, God said that. Come on, look at this food. It's great. It's good for you to eat. You'll be just like God. You'll be this, that, and all, all this is going to do for you. See, that's what the world does. It tells you all this is going to do for you if you go that way. Uh, so many preachers across this land, some of them I knew, that you say, well, they're solid, they're down the line, they're not now. They were. They were headed that direction. Oh, you got to do this, man, to go get the crowds. And sometimes they do. And so they got church filled with empty people headed to hell. Oh, we got them all baptized. <laughs> yeah, but did you get them saved? Well, we've got them to say the magic words. See, there's no repentance and faith. Now, look, folks, I really believe America's in trouble. But if America's in trouble, the church is in greater trouble. And it's going to be when the church is under trial. You know, I think it'd only take one attack on this church to cause multitudes of people not to come back. Out of fear. Fearing man more than we fear God. Now, we've got to decide who we fear. And so, we've got to stand for God. So, here he is saying, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, he despised hanging naked on a cross, being cursed, being mocked, all of those things. He hated it. He despised it. So why do it? 
I mean, he could have called 12 legions of angels at any time. The Bible tells us that. But for the joy set before him. Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you really believe in eternity? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Do you believe that we'll be rewarded like he said? Do you, think, do you believe that some will hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, others will hear, saved, but so as by fire. Without reward. And if you say, well, as long as I'm saved, that's all that matters. That tells me you don't really love God. That tells me you have no idea of the Word of God. You have no idea of eternity. And my friend, it's time to wake up. It is time to wake up and get right with God. Now look. There is a world out there that will make fun of you. There is a world out there that's always running down our standards right here at this church and this school. They say bad things about us. Sometimes I hear things about us I didn't know. It's not true, but it's interesting to hear it. But what I'm saying is, is this. Jesus endured that for us. But he showed that by enduring that, he said, looking unto Jesus. Why are you looking unto him? He's an example. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. An example. An example. An example to you, an example to me. He was our example. How did he do it? Do you know in his humanity, the Bible says he had the Spirit on him without measure? The Holy Spirit. When you got saved, you received the Spirit of God. Realize that? But you've got to be in the Word. See, the temptation that Jesus got on this earth was far greater than the temptation Adam and Eve had. But he fought it with the Word of God. He fought it with the Word of God all the way. Sometimes people say, well, the pastor's just defending himself using the word. And I'm thinking, praise God, they got it. They got it. I'm preaching the word, rightly dividing the word of God. And if, if what I'm doing, if that, if that defends what I'm doing, praise God. That means I'm walking in his word. That's it. Amen. That's right. You walk in his word. So he gave us an example to use the word of God. Rightly divided, and you walk in it, and it will defend you. When Jesus is on that cross, it's my sin that's upon him. No wonder he despised it. The outpouring of the Father's wrath is upon him. I think of the song, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul, it is well. Hey, it is paid for in Jesus Christ. 
I can tell you without any shadow of a doubt that I am just a rotten sinner saved by the grace of God. But not just saved, but now He can clean me up and He can use me. He can use you. doesn't matter how low that you think that you've gone in life. If He could take Rahab a harlot and have her as in the line of Christ, who can He not use that He saves and cleanses who comes to Him in repentance and faith? He can save you. But not only save you, He can use you. The thing is, you're saved here. What prevents you from taking a stand? You're afraid the family will reject you? You will never be as rejected as Christ was. You afraid that friends won't have anything to do with you anymore? Maybe you're even afraid of losing your job. But if you can't stand up for Jesus, don't expect victory and don't expect to hear, well done. Oh, there'll be people who say, oh, you're a great Christian, you're good. No. Your people aren't going to judge you. It's the Lord. My friend, what is the state of the day? I can't put it in terms as bad as it is. But I can say this very, very authoritatively. Prepare to meet thy God. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet God? Let's bow our heads, please.